Welcome to the John Gets Games podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from a recent Good Games vlog, where I discussed my impressions about Kalimala, Civilization, New Dawn, Darwin's Journey, and Eclipse Second Dawn. Now, Kalimala and Eclipse are both games that I've played in the past, although this is the first time I'm playing the second edition for Eclipse, and I will be covering my impressions about all of these because I played all of them recently, and I have some things I'd like to talk about for each of them. Now, at this point, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. Now, if you prefer to listen to these vlogs and podcast form like you are right now, then I do hope you would consider supporting that campaign, and you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as comments on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's now start talking about games, and the first of these is Kalimala. Now, this is a game that came out several years ago, and I was uh, quite high on it when I first got it. In fact, I played it three times in uh, pretty close succession, and I still have my copy in my collection. Um, this is a really neat game uh, where you don't take very many actions in the game. On, it, on your turn, you're going to be placing an action token out into a grid, and it's effectively a 3x3 three three grid, and you put the token between two spots within that 3x3 three three grid, each of those spots in that grid is an action, and you then do the action on either side of the token, and then if there are other tokens underneath the, uh, the token you just put down, then those also get to activate. So the, the quick thing is I could put my token down onto a spot and then make a marble and then maybe construct a building, but then the blue player has a token underneath that, so they also get to make a marble and construct a building, and underneath that there's another one of my tokens, so I get to, again, make a marble and construct a building, all because I put one token down onto this growing stack of tokens. Um, now, depending on the player count, you take different number of turns overall, and I have played this game at five players in the past, and uh, just about a week ago, I was able to play a five-player game of it again. Now, the reason I uh, pushed to do this is because um, over the course of the last year or so, I've played a couple of games by designer Fabio Lopiano, and he designed Kali Mala. Uh, now, I liked Kali Mala so much that I've been quite interested in seeing Fabio Lopiano's future designs, and those are Ragusa and Merv, or at least those are the ones that are published. And both of those left me wanting for various reasons. And uh, after playing Merv uh, last month, I really wanted to circle back to Kali Mala and try that one again and see, does it still hold up? Uh, maybe my tastes have changed overall. And so I was able to play a five-player game of this on Tabletop Simulator. Uh, now, the only person who, in this game who had played it before was my wife, Jessica. So there were three new people and two people who were experienced. And overall, I had a great time. <laughs> Just like my plays years ago, I really enjoyed the way the action selection system worked, where you were uh, trying to take good actions for yourself that would probably help out your opponents as little as possible, and maybe also help you out if you're able to go into the same stack. But then there are some really interesting incentivization things going on here, because if I put my token down onto an empty stack, and on my next turn, I go there again, so I get to activate my first token, well, no one's really going to want to go on top of that stack again, because if they go there once, then I have two tokens underneath that, which will both activate twice. So I've essentially set up a disincentivized situation for them to actually go onto a spot that I want them to go onto, because of course I would get more free actions. Now, uh, the rubber meets the road with this game, with all these actions, with a series of 15 different area uh, control uh, contests on the map. Um, they uh, are 
pretty varied. Overall, you are essentially delivering cloth to six different cities, and there are four different uh, buildings that are being constructed. I guess three buildings are being constructed, and another one's getting some art. But um, all of these things mixed together to give all these different competitions for having the most cloth delivered to a city, uh, or maybe contribute to a building being constructed the most, or maybe just contribute the most art to all buildings, or that kind of thing. Now, one of the things I personally love about this game is the fact that it's so varied from play to play. Um, the 3x3 three three grid with the actions is going to be shuffled up every time you play. The center spot is always the same, but the eight spots around it are always going to be in different positions, and they stay there for the game. So this is a game where, at the start, you look out and try to see how the random shuffle of those actions is going to impact the overall gameplay. In addition to that, those 15 contests are shuffled up at the start of the game and put face up on the table, so you know the exact order in which every single one of those contests is going to happen. So from one game to the next, you're going to be prioritizing different things. And again, you're, of course, looking at the actions to figure out how those are going to work uh, together. Now, in general, I don't really like area majority games. And uh, my experience with Calling Mall in the past was, um, I guess, reinforced this time where I love the action selection system in this game. And I think the area majority stuff is fine. Uh, it's not really my favorite thing. It works well. I think it's very uh, successful in this game. Like, it makes for a very competitive experience. But I still kind of wish there was something else besides area majority on the back end of this really cool action selection system. Uh, but I still really enjoyed myself. Now, I keep saying I really enjoyed myself over and over again, and that's because, well, my friends didn't like it so much, which was interesting to me. Uh, Jessica thought it was fine. This was her second play, but at the end of it, she felt like she's not really interested in playing this one again. Um, and uh, my other three friends that I taught it to for the first time um, ranged from kind of shrugging their shoulders to not really enjoying it at all. And and I was really surprised by that. You know, oftentimes my impression of a game is uh, bolstered by everybody enjoying the experience. But in this play, I was like having a great time while people were kind of not. In fact, once the game was over, I asked one of my friends, I said, is it just me or did you not like this game? Because I know this friend well enough. I can tell in the tone of their voice. They, they never said anything outright, but just from the tone of their voice, I could tell they weren't really enjoying it. Um, and it seemed like most of them were kind of of the opinion that they would play it again if everyone else really wanted to play it, but they didn't really see much there that they liked, which is surprising because I still really think this game is is brilliant, and I still want to keep uh, my copy in my collection, even though more and more of my friends are less interested in playing it, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, now, I think part of this is because I am drawn to a flame like a moth when it comes to uh, interesting action selection systems, and this one has two of them. I guess it has two interesting systems. One is the action selection system, and the other is that randomized set of contests. Now, that might not seem that um, groundbreaking, like, oh, you shuffle up 15 tiles and then you do those different contests, but the way those interact, because a lot of them overlap, you know, one is for constructing this building, for cubes in the building, and another one is for all of the wood across all buildings. Another one is for having the most cloth in the city, and another contest is for all the cloth in all of the different uh, uh, sailing two cities. So you're trying to compete across multiple different competitions, trying to see how all those lines are going to interact, and in each one of these um, contests, it's not winner take all. The player who has the majority gets three points, second place gets two, and third place gets one point. So this game is all about getting granular little victory points as the game goes on. Now, I did win <laughs> this play, so maybe that was part of the reason I enjoyed myself. But out of the five of us, four of us were within like four victory points. And in fact, Jessica and I tied and I just barely beat her on the tiebreaker. So it was a very close game overall. And um, yeah, it, it's interesting to me that my, my friends didn't see a lot there that they liked. One of them did not like the political nature of the game, which I thought was kind of interesting. They didn't like the analysis that went into play of figuring out where to put their token, where they are going to help uh, people the least, and, and not even just the least. They, they didn't like the idea that if they go here, they help 
opponent A, if they go over there, they help opponent B. Well, which one is winning? Which one do they want to help more? And um, they just don't like that in games in general, and that's definitely here in Kalimala. I personally love getting free stuff when it's not my turn, so I am okay with giving free stuff to other people when it's my turn if, you know, inevitably I'm going to get some free stuff when they get to take their turns. Um, another uh, catch point for the game is the fact that there's this deck of cards, and on each of them is an action, just like the actions in the main action board. And whenever you go to take an action, but you can't, maybe you try to make a wood, but your wood storage is full, or you try to construct a building, but you don't have enough stuff to make that building, you draw a random card into your hand, and that has a random action on it, and you can spend that as a free action at any point. So that means there can be a combo-tastic nature to this game sometimes, where you place a token down, activate a couple things, and then maybe throw two or three cards out to chain together a really big turn. And I love that about the game. I think that's neat that you don't have an action here, so you get a random action and you try to fold that into your overall strategy, whereas some of my friends just felt like they kept getting cards they couldn't use and they thought that was kind of bad. Uh, for me, I think that's fine because without those cards, it'd be a near-perfect information sort of game, and I like that kind of variety that comes into play, uh, but that's just going to be a player preference. So it seems like at the end of the day for Kali Mala, it for some reason really lines up with my preferences, even though I'm not crazy about uh, area majority, and it just strangely did not line up with the preferences of my friends. But, um, you know, I still own a copy and I don't see myself getting rid of it because I still think it's a really elegant, cool game. And I'm looking forward to playing it more in the future. Although I'm probably not going to be pressing to make it happen at any time soon. I have a copy, so it's not going anywhere. All right, let's move on to the second game, and that one is Civilization New Dawn. Now, this is a game that was published by Fantasy Flight Games a few years ago, and I've been actively interested in playing this ever since I first heard about it. Now, it's in the Civilization IP line alongside, like, Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game, which I owned a decade ago and played a bunch and liked but ended up getting rid of. And the reason I was very interested in playing Civilization New Dawn is because it seemed like it was a more abstracted, uh, maybe streamlined, elegant civilization style system instead of being a big bloated 4X type of game with a million tiny little rules. Now, the core idea of Civilization New Dawn is you have a action track in front of you. It goes one, two, three, four, and five. And on each of those spots, there's also a terrain that range from grassland all the way to mountains effectively showing a increase in difficulty of the terrain. Now, underneath each of those, you have a card, and they are action cards. And when it's your turn, you're going to kind of slide one of those cards down, activate that action, and the potency of that action is going to depend on where it is on that track. If it's under the three, then the potency of that action will either be three, or it'll be associated with the terrain type that is above the three, which, if I remember correctly, is forests, but don't check me on that. Uh, so you might be doing something that could happen in forests or plains or hills, but you can't do something in the mountains because you didn't get all the way over there. Or maybe you're doing a different type of action that just says, you know, you're doing science and it just says, well, there's a three over here, so you get three science. If you had waited for that card to get to the five and you activate it, then you would get five science instead of the three. After that, after your turn is over, that card will go all the way to the end and all of the other cards will slide over. So you are incentivized to try and do the actions when they're all the way to the right because those are going to be hypothetically, the most potent actions over there, but if you just always do whatever that card is, you might find yourself falling behind in the main goals of this game, which is another reason why I was so interested in it. Instead of being a victory point style game, this is an objective-based game. There are three cards that are dealt out at the start of the game, and each card has two objectives on it, and you win if you complete one of the two objectives on each of the three cards. Um, those objectives are uh, pretty varied. It might be building a certain number of a specific type of wonder out on the board, 
It could also be things like um, explore a certain number of spaces next to the edge of the map or water. It could also be conquering an opponent's city or maybe constructing all of your cities. And th there's a decent number of other options. Now, in this play, I intentionally uh, did not have the conquer opponent cities uh, as an option because I wanted to play a 4X game where we weren't just marching around trying to hit each other. And I guess I've already spoiled the fact that I've played it. Obviously, I wouldn't be talking about it if I hadn't. I, I did play this one once a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was on uh, a board game day that was celebrating my 37th birthday. So that was fun. Now, uh, we got to play a four-player game of this. It was myself, my wife Jessica, and a couple of my friends. And um, again, I didn't want a contentious military-style game, so I made sure we had um, non-military-type uh, objectives in the middle of the table. And um, while I'm talking about military, that's yet another reason why I was intrigued by this game. And that's because, in general, I'm not crazy about troops on a map style games where you are making different units that you then move certain number of spaces and then they attack doing various different things. Well, there is none of that in Civilization New Dawn or at least the base game. I think the expansion might have changed that a bit. In the base game, you essentially influence the map. You put these tokens out to say that you influence that area. And whenever you do a military action, you can essentially do these specific hostile conquest type things going against barbarians or city-states or even opponents by just projecting your authority from your influence area. It might say, do an attack from three spaces, uh, up to three spaces away from your influence. So there's this kind of idea that your military presence is everywhere your influence is. So you're not jockeying around with different troops or anything like that. You're just kind of everywhere all at the same time. And then you do the action and it's an abstracted type of military conflict, which I'm totally about because I don't really care about the minutia and accuracy of wars. I don't really like that kind of stuff in games in general, but I'm okay with it being a sub aspect to the game, especially when it's, you know, somewhat streamlined like it was in this game. Uh, now, the last thing I want to talk about mechanically before I go into how our play went is the fact that um, you can actually upgrade those cards that are in front of you. I mentioned that one of the things you can do is uh, spend an action, specific action to gain science. And whenever you get to certain thresholds on the science track, you will get to swap out one of your cards that are in front of you on your track with a better version of that specific type of card. And there's um, level ones, which you start with, and there's twos, threes, and I believe it went all the way up to four. So you will get more and more powerful as you increase your technology, essentially. And the tech tree in this game is just swapping out these five action cards that are in front of you that will get more and more potent as the game goes on. So uh, we were able to play this in Tabletop Simulator. I don't actually have a copy of this game. Um, I've been meaning to play it at Board Game Geek Con and whatnot, but again, Board Game Geek Con did not happen this year, and I wasn't able to make it happen in previous years. So um, I wanted to make this happen. I learned the rules, and we ended up playing a four-player game of it, and we all enjoyed the experience. Um, Jessica won by a mile. <laughs> it was not really close. Uh, she got to all three of the objectives when I was in a position where I was about three turns away from getting all three of the objectives, which is a pretty big gulf, <laughs> I think. Three turns is a lot. And uh, about the same could be said for both of uh, the other opponents. So she had a very solid victory there. And um, it seemed like all of us enjoyed the streamlined nature of the game. And uh, we all really liked the power track, the way these cards different uh, worked with that track. Now, again, it might seem like you should just always activate the thing on the five, but you don't necessarily always need to have that power card all the way over to the edge. Um, if you are over there, you might get more than you need, especially if you are interacting with the map. You know, if you don't need to cross over mountains at all, then you don't need to wait until that specific action gets to the mountain spot. In fact, if it gets to that spot, then you're kind of wasting actions. It might make sense once that gets to the three spot because you don't need to go past any uh, anything harder than the, uh, the forest to use that action to cycle that down to get the other stuff even farther down on the track, or at least that's what it seemed. Uh, now in this play, in reality, 
the majority of the time we were activating at four and five, I would say, um, it, it is still quite potent for a lot of the actions, but there is still decisions to be made for when you want to do that. And as you construct various wonders under your cities, you start to gain access to some very powerful effects that could also change how you're going to be activating your cards. I really like that part of the game where there was um, a set of wonders that you could buy and new ones came out after previous ones were built. And the powers on these were very uh, impactful on the overall game. Jessica got one that let her essentially teleport to another side of the map uh, with specific actions. Um, I had one that let me hoard and uh, be very flexible with a specific type of good called trade goods, as well as uh, one that made it every time I did a caravan trade action, I got six extra movement, which is a lot, especially early on in the game when I got that. And um, there were also some that would say, like, when you activate this power, you activate it as if it was a three or better. So that means you could activate it as a one, and it's now effectively a three, so you could just hammer that action over and over again in order to chase after a specific objective once the game is close to being over. Uh, so yeah, overall, we had fun, but I do have a couple of um, criticisms, I guess, to say about the game. Uh, the first is that teaching the military was very tough for me. Um, I like that the military is abstracted away. You don't have troops on a map. But still, when I did this rules teach, I feel like I dedicated 40% of the overall teach to explaining how fights worked. And then we fought like 5% of the time in the actual game. And that's because when you do these military uh, conflicts, either against non-player characters or against each other, um, the way each fight works is different for each one of those different things. So like, this is what happens when you fight a barbarian. This is what happens when you fight a city-state. This is what happens when you fight an opponent city or a capital, and there's all these different things. And then you also have to talk about the barbarians moving around and potentially fighting you, which is also fighting. And maybe this is because it was just the first time that I've taught the game, but I felt like I dedicated so much time to that. And I felt like I got more confused as I taught the military rules to people who were also confused trying to listen to me teach them the military rules. Um, when the dust settled on the game, we did very little military uh, aggressions. Um, honestly, in retrospect, I probably should have attacked Jessica a bit. We were right next to each other. And uh, one of the goals that she was able to take involved being adjacent to water or the edge. And I probably should have realized that she was significantly farther ahead than me and attacked some of her influence to swap that over so that I would be closer to getting to that goal and she would be farther away. But I didn't because it was a first game for all of us. Um, so that was a little bit tough. And also it was a long game. I don't remember specifically exactly how long it took and it was in Tabletop Simulator for four new people, but the teach probably took an hour and uh, the game itself was, I think, around three hours or so, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, so it was a longer experience than I was expecting considering I thought it was like a very streamlined civilization experience. But I think a big part of that is because we were all new. We're playing it in Tabletop Simulator, which it's a good mod overall, but there's still going to be a a time tax when playing in that setting, especially for expan an expansive sprawling game uh, system like this. And uh, also it was just a bit of a rough teach the first time through. I had read the rules a few days before and I probably should have read them right before to be a little bit more uh, fresh on it. So I guess the game was not as elegant as I was hoping it would be on the edges with things like the military, but the core idea of the game with trying to hit those objectives and using that action track in front of you was super elegant. I, I really liked the way all that worked because it meant that you're not doing specific things to get granular victory points for this or that. Everything is goal-oriented, trying to hit specific goals before your opponents do. Uh, so yeah, overall, I think all of us walked away from it uh, being interested in playing this one again. Uh, I'm kind of interested in maybe trying to pick up a discounted copy of this one, considering I liked it 
it and Jessica really liked it. Um, so, you know, at some point we can uh, play this one more in the future. And I feel like after another play or two, this will be much more streamlined overall and I'll probably enjoy the streamlined nature of it uh, more than we did in this specific play where it did feel a little bit clunkier than I was hoping it would end up being. Okay, let's now move on to the third game I'll be discussing, and that one is Darwin's Journey. Uh, now, before I talk about the game itself, I have a few different things I'd like to get out of the way right at the start. Um, the first is that I don't normally talk about games that are currently up on Kickstarter, or at least my subjective opinion of them, and this game is currently up on Kickstarter, or at least it is when I'm publishing this video. Um, now, the reason for that is because I usually don't play prototype games to even give my impression, but this game is effectively done, and there's a really good version of it on Tabletop Simulator that I was able to play a full uh, gameplay of. The next thing I'd like to mention is the fact that I was uh, uh, paid to make a sponsored tutorial video for the game. Uh, Thundergriff Games is a client of mine, and I've worked with them many times before, so I have a very solid professional relationship with them. And on top of that, they contracted me to write the rulebook for this game. So I am super duper biased <laughs> about this game, and I wanted you to know that right at the outset before I started talking about how much fun I had actually playing this game. Uh, so speaking of which, let's now talk about that. Uh, now, at this point, I have played the first one or two rounds a couple of times, and I played a full game against two other people once. Um, the first couple of times I did just the beginning, the first time was being taught the game so that I could write the rules, and the second time was me playing through one round for the tutorial. And both of those times left me really wanting to see where the game would go, and so because of that, I set up a three-player game. Uh, actually played with Monique and Naveen from the Before You Play YouTube series. Um, they do full playthroughs, and their videos are excellent. I watched pretty much all of them, and it turns out they're incredibly nice, awesome people as well. Uh, so this was kind of uh, the time for us to uh, meet online, and we had a great time playing a full three-player game of this one. Um, and uh, yeah, let's talk about the specifics of the game a little bit before I talk about my subjective opinion about the game. So, um, in this game, you are thematically going through Darwin's journey from his recollections. It's kind of a loose Darwin theme, but you have Galapagos Islands, and you are going to be exploring with explorers on the islands. You'll be moving a ship down an ocean track that will also let you do some exploration. In each of these cases, you'll be getting a variety of bonuses when you land on spots, but the big thing that you're trying to do is land on different species so that you can research them by putting a token onto your player board, and then later on, you can go to the museum to submit a specimen of that species to the museum, which is effectively a grid, and it's got this really neat mechanism where when you put a token down, you get benefits based off of the uh, exhibits in the same row and column within that grid, and the benefit could be either coins or it could be an endgame multiplier victory point uh, 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 bump uh, based on other uh, things that are out there. So essentially, if I put stuff into the museum and my opponent then puts stuff in later, they might actually get endgame victory points based off of the token that I put in as we are thematically building off uh, each other's uh, scientific research, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, now, the main mechanic of this game is worker placement. Uh, each player starts off with four workers, and you can potentially upgrade into a fifth one as the game goes on. And each of these workers has these seals next to them, which are effectively their knowledge base. And there are uh, four different colored seals. And when you send a worker out to spots on the board, some of them don't have seal requirements, but other ones do. And in order to go to those seal requirement spots, that worker has to have the prerequisite set of knowledge that is next to them. 
So you are effectively increasing the knowledge of your workers and specializing them in certain ways, but you could always send them to the more generalized spots like the museum or gaining objectives um, if the other stuff isn't working out for you. Uh, now, one really neat aspect to this game is the fact that it is a heavyweight Euro game with only one resource, and that resource is money. Now, money is super important in this game. You have to spend it to do a wide variety of things, but the main thing that you're going to be spending it on is penalties when you send your workers to the same action area as other workers. Um, the size of the action area is going to be dependent on the player count, but if you put a worker into an action area that already has any workers, including yours, you have to pay a predefined number of coins. Um, no matter how many workers are there, you just pay the same penalty. So money really is the currency of being able to do the actions that you want, as well as being able to unlock other options and do a wide variety of other things. But it was just refreshing to me to play a heavy Euro game with one currency. You're not juggling all of these different resources and trying to, you know, do set collection for different various things. You just have money and you really need money in this game. It, it tends to go quite quickly. Now, the last mechanic thing I'd like to talk about before I talk about my opinion has to do with where the rubber meets the road with this game. Obviously, you're sending workers out, but what are they doing? Well, they're taking actions. Now, that might not seem revolutionary, but in Darwin's Journey, there are something like 30 different types of actions that each have their own specific icon. Some of them are pretty similar to others, but they have their own subtle tweaks. And this game is all about sending your workers to spots that will then activate uh, these actions. At the start of the game, you might go to a spot and it just activates a single action icon and you do that action. But once you get to the middle and later stages of the game, you will find yourself going to a spot that might give you a couple of different actions. And based off of one of those actions, you might unlock another action that lets you do something else over here, which lets you pull a bonus off there. And the bonus on here unlocks another action. And once you finish that action, you realize you have everything you need for an objective. So you flip that over, which gives you another action. And you can have these awesome, super satisfying action combo chains, um, especially once you get into the middle and late stages of the game. Uh, I counted it out. I don't remember the specific number, uh, but in the fifth round of the game, in our three-player game, I had a single turn where I put a, a one worker down and I took somewhere between 11 and 13 actions that cascaded from that single worker going down. Uh, now, you might be saying, wow, that sounds really boring, watching one of my opponents take 13 actions in a row. But each of these actions is actually quite straightforward, uh, quite quick to uh, evaluate. I think on that turn, I was probably doing stuff for like a minute and a half, which is a while to be doing thing after thing, but they were quick things. Like I go here, which means I can move this over there. Okay, that lets me spend a coin to place a, a tent down and that tent is gonna give me this action. And since I cleared that tent, there's another bonus action over here, which lets me move one more time, letting me get this other thing, which again, lets me do the objective, this kind of stuff I mentioned before. Um, so a lot of these are little discrete actions that you can chain together into very very powerful effects, uh, which is important. This is a five round game and you have four workers, a fifth one you can potentially get through objectives. But if even if you don't get that fifth one, then you're taking 20 worker placements throughout the game. But of course that could cascade into a lot more overall actions. Uh, now let's start talking about how it felt to actually play the game. And I think you could probably pick up from the tone of my voice that I enjoyed it. I think I've mentioned that a couple times. And the thing I like the most about this game is the combo potential. I really like cascading series of actions, especially when um, you, again, don't have like five different resources that you need to have in the specific quantities to make all of your dreams come true within this game. You just need money. A lot of things need money, so you have to count up and make sure you have enough money to pull off these big chains. But overall, that's not the hardest thing in the world to do as you're trying to work together to make all these plans happen. Now, of course, you're probably not going to be stumbling into 10 action turns. Uh, you're most likely going to be working towards that specific result. And in our three-player game, it 
did take about three hours. It was a first full game for all of us, obviously. I was pretty versed in the game. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have to teach it. I actually sent them a copy of my video <laughs> so that they could learn it from that. Uh, but um, it was not a short game. That being said, those three hours just flew by. I think part of that's because the company was great. <laughs> Naveen and Monique were really fun people to play games with, but also the game was fun. I really enjoyed those moments. I really enjoyed figuring out what I was going to do. And it was one of those games where even if one of my opponents was uh, taking a decent amount of time figuring out what they're going to do, maybe um, going into a bit of analysis paralysis, which wasn't too bad in general, but even if it happened a few times, chances are I was also spinning my gears about what I wanted to do as well. So I don't remember any amount of time where I was sitting there just waiting for it to be my turn again because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I was constantly thinking, constantly planning, and I really enjoyed that aspect of the game. Now, it is true that this is a worker placement game, which means if all of your hopes and dreams for an amazing turn reside on going to a specific spot and your opponent goes there, well, you better have another action option. And this is one of the reasons why I never really felt the downtime because I was constantly thinking about multiple different options for my turn. Even if an opponent doesn't go to that specific action spot, they might go to a spot within that action area, which would then cause a penalty, which you might not be able to afford, which means you do need to come up with a new plan. Um, and if you just come up with one plan, then obviously there's going to be a lot more downtime as you try to rethink things overall. But I found myself really enjoying coming up with multiple different uh, plans for my workers as I was playing through the game. Uh, now, also, I don't think it was technically a three-hour game. We were enjoying talking about games and getting to know each other a decent bit as well. I think it was probably more likely a two-and-a-half-hour experience for the three of us, which is still a long game. Um, I don't see this ever being a 90-minute four-player game, at least not for people I play games with, but I do hope that it could be a game that could be played in um, maybe close to 90 minutes with three people who do know what they're doing. Um, time will have to tell on that. At this moment, I've only played the game once, uh, and I do know that there's going to be some very subtle uh, tweaks to the overall game. Nothing big, just like uh, changing a number uh, plus one or minus one here or there on the board. So the game isn't completely, completely done, but it is very close to being there. And I am really looking forward to playing this one more. I haven't had a chance to yet, but I want to teach this one to all of my friends. And, you know, maybe part of that's because I'm excited by, about being a part of the project. I wrote the rule book. I made the tutorial video for it. Um, I even wrote the script for the uh, um, the, the brief introductory uh, video that they have on the Kickstarter page. Like, they've asked a lot of me, and, and I've really enjoyed doing it. So I am super biased. And so perhaps part of this glowing enthusiasm is because it's so much fun to be a part of making a board game that does seem fun. But also, I honestly feel like I really enjoy this game and I want a copy of this game, even though it might end up being a little bit longer than my tastes usually uh, lie on for games. I just think that it, it hits a lot of things for me. I love the combo nature of it. I love the simple nature of the uh, resource economy and how that is actually really tight and uh, introduces a bunch of restrictions overall. I think the upgrading of the workers is super cool. And there's other things I haven't even talked about because I could probably talk about this for a very long time. Uh, but just overall, I'm actually quite excited about this game. I'm really looking forward to playing it more. I will likely get a couple more games played of it in person, and I'm definitely going to be trying to get a copy of it uh, in real life because this is one that I could see enjoying for a very long time. Uh, I'm not really a Simone Luciani uh, uh, 
fan in general. I'm not against his games, but it seems like more often than not when I play uh, games that he has designed, like uh, Zolkin, Mirage, uh, Newton, and I know that it's not always just Simone Luciani. And in fact, uh, this one is also uh, Nestore uh, Mangon, who um, they work together to make Newton, which is a game I really didn't like. Um, in this case, they work together to make a game that I really do actively like. So it's not like I just enjoy everything they do, but just for some reason, Darwin's Journey is um, lining up to be a game that I very much enjoy uh, of, and of a heavyweight type, which is oftentimes not specifically something I gravitate towards. Although it does seem like over the course of the last year, I've been enjoying heavier games in general. And I like that this is almost like an accessible heavy game because again, the resource economy is so simple. You just have coins. And I've said that like 10 times, so I should probably stop rambling about it now. Um, overall, I've been super impressed by Darwin's journey and I'm looking forward to many more plays. All right, let's now proceed into the fourth and final game I'll be talking about today, and that is Eclipse Second Dawn. Uh, funnily enough, the second game I'm talking about today with Dawn in the name. <laughs> now, Eclipse and I go way back. Uh, I first fell down the rabbit hole of board games in about 2008, and I remember when Eclipse first came out a couple of years after that, I was rabidly excited about it. I was, uh, you know, subscribed to the Board Game Geek page for it. I read every single designer diary. I was excited for this game months and months, like maybe six plus months before it even came out. Um, it was my number one most anticipated game, and I was so excited to get a copy of the first edition. I, you know, I, I like set a reminder for the pre-order date, and I, you know, squeaked it in there, and I was super excited about getting that there. And we received the game, and I played it 13 times, I think, over the course of a year and a half, which is saying a lot, considering Eclipse was a nine-round 4X style space opera combat game that generally takes about an hour per person to play. And um, several of those games were at six players, which was the biggest player count at the time before they increased that with expansions. So that means I played a, a game that frequently, we played a lot of four player games as well, frequently was four to six hours long, 13 times over the course of a year and a half. I was really into it. <laughs> I think that should be really all you should know there. Now, I did have some criticisms of it after I kept playing it over and over again, and I never actually covered it on the channel. I remember very uh, early in John Gets Games in 2014 or so, um, I was tempted to do an Eclipse review, but at that point it had been maybe a year or two since I'd played, and I kept feeling like, well, I should just play it one more time, and then I'll make the review. And I I just fell into a drought of playing Eclipse. You know, The last time I played it before about uh, a week ago was um, in 2012, I believe, or maybe early 2013. So years went by where I didn't get to playing it. And I think that's mostly because I played it so much. I felt like I'd seen a lot in it. And if I'm being honest, the plasma missiles really bugged me in that game. And I'm not going to go into the specifics of it. If you know, then you know. But there was this one mechanic that that rubbed me wrong, especially with the kind of game states that would evolve from it, from it with um, just glass cannon fleets. Um, that was that was not my favorite thing. Also, I just feel like my tastes changed. Um, way back then, I would host epic game days where we would just, you know, play six-player games of Dominant Species, six-player games of Eclipse, um, you know, big games that would take six-plus hours. I really enjoyed that. But once I got into the middle of the aughts, I was much more interested in, like, 90-minute Euro experiences. And, um, well, a couple years ago, the uh, second Dawn uh, Kickstarter went up, and I was interested in it, but it was not very cheap. And I remember feeling like, well, you know, I know it's supposed to, like, streamline things and whatnot, but... I haven't played it in all these years. I don't think I really need to invest in that one. So I let the Kickstarter slide. Um, around that time, I actually decided to also sell my copy of Eclipse. I hadn't played it in like seven plus years. And I realized that since there was a new copy or a new edition coming out, that was probably the time to liquidate it while it was worth anything at all. So I did sell my copy. Now, fast forward to 
about six weeks ago or a month ago, something like that, um, I was looking at YouTube and Shut Up and Sit Down put a uh, review up for Eclipse Second Dawn, which is the second edition. And by the end of that review, I was ordering the game. Uh, it was a very good review overall. They make very good stuff. Uh, but watching that review just tapped right back into all my nostalgia of the amazing times that I had playing the original game. And they talked about all the ways that the game was new and improved. They streamlined a bunch of things. They rebalanced a bunch of things. They brought in some really great ideas from some of the expansions and incorporated those into the main base game. And they drastically increased the component quality and the usability of the game. In the previous game, you just have tokens and stuff all over the place. I know I haven't talked about the specifics, but if I did, this would be way too long of a segment. Um, this is a game where you are spending actions to uh, spending tokens to take various actions. And at the end of each round, you have to spend money based off of how many tokens are missing. And those tokens also go out onto the board to give you control of spaces. So effectively, the bigger your empire is slash the more actions you take, the more money you have to spend, and you only have so much money. And really, the entire economy works off of that system. Uh, so in this game, you have ship blueprints in front of you, and you can modify those blueprints, add extra guns, add extra shields or computers or various um, rare technologies in this new version. And all of these things are these little tokens that were really hard to get to in the original game. And this new version has these um, these awesome traits that you can just pass around the table so you can easily get this stuff down. Uh, well, at least I'm assuming it's easy because at this point, I did buy it. I bought it and I bought the, the big mat because I just realized, like, if this is effectively the definitive, almost like collector's edition of Eclipse, and I love the game so much back then, then I wanted to invest in it now because I do think this is a game that even though it's not really my wheelhouse anymore, it's the kind of game I would like to play you know, once a year or so. And in order to play it once a year or so, I need to have a copy. And it wouldn't surprise me if in a year, this is, you know, bonkers expensive and really hard to come by. And right now it's available. So I guess FOMO hit me and I ordered a copy of it. Uh, now, because I had a copy come in, I was super excited and there's a very good mod for it on Tabletop Simulator. So I actually ended up playing this one twice last month. I played a two-player game with my friend Matt, who played it many times with me, you know, 10 years ago. He was also experienced with it. And then we played a four-player game of it just about a week ago with uh, my friends Owen and Anastasia. Owen was my roommate back in that crazy spree of a year and a half of playing Eclipse. So he probably had like eight plays of this, of the original game under his belt as well. So um, each of these plays were fun. The four-player game was significantly more interesting than the two-player game. In the two-player game, we didn't really interact all that much, but in a four-player game, there was constant jostling as we were expanding our fleets, making alliances. Alliances got broken a couple of times, and um, we were obviously, you know, lots of space battles were happening all over the place, lots of dice being rolled. Um, now, this is interesting because uh, my friend Anastasia, this is our first time playing really any 4X-style games. Uh, she is very much a Euro gamer who loves indirect conflict and was a little wary of the, the fact that you could like send ships at your opponent and throw dice at them. Uh, but she was quite interested to try this game as well. And um, the play was great. We all had a good time with it. It did take about five hours for the four of us. It was a little bit slower because we had a new player and because we were playing on Tabletop Simulator. It'd just be just a bit faster, I think, in person because it's a big, expansive game. Uh, but it was interesting because we all enjoyed it, including my friend Anastasia, who was reticent about it. In fact, she got all up in my business <laughs> sending ships into my uh, area. I played as the planta. If that means anything to you, then that means something to you. Um, I was trying to expand a lot to get a lot of endgame points, and she was able to sneak a, uh, a dreadnought into my space and took over a bunch of my areas right at the very end of the game. And I did win. I squeaked out a tie victory against Anastasia, who was playing as the Descendants. Um, so winning is great, but it was very, very close there at the end. And in fact, the scores were 35, 35, 32, 31. And I did mention that you roll dice in this game for combat, a lot of dice. And 
in the, in the very last round of the game, there was a huge fight uh, for control of the Galactic Center, which is worth four points. And by huge fight, I mean throughout the course of the fight, well over 100 dice were rolled. Uh, at the start, one side was rolling like 20 dice, and the other side was repeatedly rolling about eight, and they went through many different rounds. And it ended uh, from, you know, rolling all these masses of dice. It went all the way down to one person rolling one die, another person rolling another die because there was so much attrition. Whoever rolled a five first would win control of that sector. And ultimately, the person who lost that fight, who probably should have, they came in with so many ships, they lost on that die roll. They didn't roll a five or a six first. If they had, which they very much could have, like it was, they were probably favored to do so, they would have won the game. Those four points that would have swung in their favor would have brought them from 31 up to 35, plus they would have gained another point for something else that I don't need to bother you with. And um, that means this five-hour game was decided on a die roll right there at the end. Uh, well, a lot of dice, I guess. And I think that's part of the reason I like the space combat in this game. I know you roll a lot of dice, but the way it works is you only get a hit on a six, on a D6 die. So this isn't the kind of thing where it's a coin flip. It's actually hard to get hits, which thematically makes sense. You are in space. There's a lot of area to miss with your projectiles, and you can increase the number that you have to hit in order to get there with uh, computers, and you can decrease your chance of your opponent from hitting you with shields. But, you know, having to hit a five or a six to get a hit is like... I guess what I'm trying to say is when you roll that many dice, the odds become normalized. And even though there was randomness there and it did come down to those two dice right there and it felt like it was just totally luck of the draw who was going to roll a five or a six um, at the end of it, when you normalize all of the hundred plus dice that were rolled in that combat, I imagine the right person probably did win or if the wrong person won based off of the odds, um, that's just the kind of thing that could occasionally happen. But again, with a normalized curve of that many dice rolls, I think it just makes a little bit more sense. And I think I like that part of the combat because it doesn't seem as luck-based as other games. So I guess it might seem more lucky because if you hit a six, that is lucky. But if you just keep going over and over again, you have to have a crazy streak of luck to be truly luckier than you should be in this game. And, you know, sometimes things go one way or another, and I think I'm harping on all this too much. Uh, I should probably wrap this up by saying that I enjoyed both of these plays online, but I don't think I'm going to play it online anymore. Uh, the thing that really hit me in our five-hour, four-player game was that part of the reason I loved playing Eclipse was we'd have everyone over, and it would take, you know, four to six hours to play the game, and we would order pizza, and we'd have snacks, and we'd be drinking beer, and we'd be talking, and all that kind of stuff in the space together, versus being on Discord with voice chat and being online, it just, it felt like it was missing the event vibe that should have been there. So what this means is I'm not planning on playing it on Tabletop Simulator anymore, but I am really happy that I bought a copy of it because I'm looking forward to once the pandemic is over, busting this one out, you know, maybe within a couple months of the pandemic being over and playing this one with friends, uh, getting them around the table and using all these uh, much nicer components, passing around game trays and that kind of stuff, and then continuing to hopefully play this one once every year or two into the future. This is definitely an event style experience and I want to have it there in my back pocket, in my collection so that I can go there if I want to, even though this is not a game that's gonna be played all that often. Well, at this point, we've reached the end of this Good Games vlog. Um, you've probably noticed that it was effectively the same as other uh, uh, impressions vlogs that I've been doing for years. Uh, but of course, I talked about the fun experiences that I've been having with these games, as opposed to maybe some of the other ones that weren't so fun that I have also had over the last uh, month or two. And uh, I'm planning on putting these vlogs out with the same regularity as my impressions vlogs, because honestly, most of the games that I play, I do enjoy because I usually try to play games that I am likely going to enjoy. And there's probably going to be another one of these out in about a week or so. So keep your eyes out for that one as well. All right, that is going to bring this podcast to a close. Thanks for listening. 